What is up, ladies and gentle nerds? It's your boy Graham, also known as Hamhawks42 on the internet, and we are here with another edition of Overthinking MTG. Let's go ahead and hit that random card button, and today we are looking at Eon Hub. Eon Hub, not Aeon Hub. I'm fairly certain that is pronounced Eon Hub, which makes sense because it starts with an E. <laughs> All right, that's the kind of night we're in for. Well, night as I record this. It's uh, whatever time of day it is for you out there in podcast land. All right, you ever notice there was a TV land and a radio land, but people don't usually say podcast land? Well, thank you for tuning in out there in podcast land. I appreciate it. All right, so Eon Hub, it is an artifact, not a creature, not, not equipment, not a vehicle, just a straight-up artifact for five Five colorless, I feel the need to point that out, because uh, this was from a time when all artifacts were colorless, but that's not the case here. And, well, that's not the case anymore, I should say. So, colorless artifact from 5th Dawn, players skip their upkeep steps. That's it. Players skip their upkeeps. So this is one of those where I actually had a foil one of these back in the day, and I gotta say the artwork um, done by Darren Bader is actually... Like really gorgeous in foil. A lot of those older Mirrodin cards, they have that metallic look where everything is is silver, and there's a lot of like bright, almost neon colors to them. And so you get kind of this. Um, once you put a foil treatment on it, you get kind of this trippy, almost black like black light poster look to them, which is just super cool. So. That has nothing to do with the card itself, except, well, it was a copy of this card that I had at one point. It was really neat. I liked it a lot. I had no use for it, because it's such a unique, weird um, ability. Well, and so as a result, it was one of those where I wasn't willing to give it up, because I wanted to find some use for it. So the fact that it's universal, all players skip their upkeep steps, it's one of those where it gets kind of weird, because... A lot of stuff happens on the upkeep in a lot of different ways. So it doesn't skip your draw step. However, cards that allow you to draw on your upkeep are affected by this. So if your opponent has, say, an, um, a, I'm Phyrexian Arena. I can't believe I was blanking on Phyrexian Arena. Um, so if your opponent has a Phyrexian Arena down, they only draw one card like everybody else. They don't get their second one. They don't lose that one life, but nah, they didn't really care. They played the Phyrexian Arena to begin with. They wanted that card. They don't get that card. So that's kind of cool. The other thing that this does is it shuts off the upkeep cost on cards. So cards that have an upkeep or a cumulative upkeep, then those don't apply anymore. So all of a sudden, some of these other cards that we've looked at that have you know cumulative upkeeps, uh, all of a sudden... Because you don't have the upkeep phase, there's no point where you put an age counter on the card. There's no point where you have to pay that cost. But you get to keep the card itself. You know, that card is still alive and well, still kicking. So something like, I believe it was Blizzard, actually, was a, a blue spell with a cumulative upkeep. Or no, it was a green spell, but the artwork was blue. That was the thing. And it was a tap-down effect, so it felt very blue, but it was green. Anyway... That, um, that taps down all flyers. It has a cumulative upkeep on it. Well, the moment you have Eon Hub down, that cumulative upkeep doesn't count anymore at all. So, okay, all of a sudden, that cost is remedied pretty dramatically. So, on the upkeep step, there's good stuff and bad stuff. Kind of like the classic version of upkeep and why it's called upkeep is you pay mana. You know, you pay mana for upkeep costs on a lot of things. Uh, but because we've kind of moved away from that, you find yourselves, we find us, 
now in a state where people are drawing extra cards in their upkeep, they're getting other bonuses, they're gaining life, they're doing all this other stuff. And so in a way, Eon Hub actually takes advantage of that. Or, you know, it really hoses your opponents who have those effects down. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of cool, but it's very situational. And five mana for a situational hoser is a little expensive. It is colorless, so that's kind of nice. Um, it's the kind of thing that, depending on your commander meta, you might want to throw it in. You know, if you have some somebody who runs a lot of enchantments that have triggers on the upkeep step, like Phyrexian Arena and, you know, things like that, being able to just say, you know what, no, that's not going to pl- apply here. You know, that, that could be fun. There's probably another, there are probably a number of options as far as um, ways to build around cards with really steep upkeep costs you know actually building that as a theme with aeon hub and then like ways to fetch it out with like cards like fabricate um or transmute for five like there are all kinds of weird things you could build around this and that could be a lot of fun my only hesitation with building around this card specifically relates to something that mark rosewater refers to as a cognitive load which i think is a brilliant game design uh, phrase and well maybe it doesn't have to do with um cognitive load per se but this card results you have to understand the rules you have to understand the turn phases you have to understand quite a bit about the way that the turn is structured in order for this card to function so there's a little bit of a downside in that you just have to explain it and you have to explain why it touches Phyrexian Arena but not Howling Mine. Like you have to explain that to people. And for newer players, having to have that level of granularity and understanding the different phases, that can be a real turnoff. Um, so if you're playing this in a casual kind of environment, make sure that the people you're playing with have been playing for a while and have an intimate understanding of how the game functions. Otherwise, you're going to have some feel-bad moments. Meanwhile, with those groups of with that type of playgroup, this thing actually could result in some pretty fun interaction that people aren't planning for. So that could be kind of cool. So just know who your target audience is. You know, if um, you know, if you listen to jazz musicians, like really accomplished jazz musicians, they will solo and kind of m- make some fun sounds. And to an unobserved, you know, and then every now and then you just kind of hear them going, 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 and then they'll hit like a certain little riff, and then all the other musicians will start laughing. And those of us in the audience who like enjoy jazz music, but maybe aren't as intimately familiar with what they're doing, don't get the joke. But these musicians do, because they understand the rules, they understand um, each other's habits, they understand how the music flows, they're in this groove together, and one of them stepped outside the lines just a little bit to say, hey guys, you're paying attention, and for them, it's an inside joke and it's kind of funny. Well, Aeon Hub, Aeon Hub, sorry, uh, <laughs> it has that feel to me. So if you are sitting down with a group of fellow magic enthusiasts, this is the kind of thing, like, this is a C-sharp you know, when you're playing in C, you know, I know enough about music to know that you don't do that. You know, that's just a little, uh, it's, it's off of tonic, it's off your root. Anyway, so here's, you know, it's out of key. So you're putting it into a different flavor. And if you do it in the right time, it may not sound bad, but you're demonstrating that you're going, going out of, 
out of the norm. This is a way to do that. You know, it kind of breaks up the flow of the game. It changes the dynamic. It changes things in a way that you kind of got to stop and think about how the gameplay operates. And then you get to have that moment where, uh, actually, you know what, you can't do that because that happens on your upkeep. You know, and it's like, oh, man, you're right. And so like, when you're with a group of people who are familiar with the game and are willing to improvise at that level, this could be fun. You know, um, but for new players, I would highly recommend you run away from this thing. Don't don't go anywhere near it because it's going to get confusing. It's going to get confusing and uncomfortable, and that's not fun. We don't like it confusing and uncomfortable. So because this has one single line, and actually it has a single line of rules text, and that one line of rules text doesn't even cover the whole line because uh, it's so simple and so straightforward, we do have a nice long piece of flavor text. Let's see what we got. Its power source is time itself. It absorbs unused minutes and hours, bringing the end of existence always closer. Ooh, that's creepy. So it's kind of like some kind of, so it's some kind of temporal black hole. That's kind of cool. Actually, you know what? I don't know that I've ever actually read the flavor text on this card. And yes, I have owned this before. I don't know why I never bothered with that or it didn't stick that's interesting well and now i'm looking at the artwork and so the artwork shows i had always assumed that this artwork showed a type of device some kind of mechanical artifact that was being suspended over like an arc that was connecting it to the ground itself like there was almost like a bolt of lightning going out the bottom of this thing that was hanging in the air with a lot of things glowing off of it and a little like cackling bits of energy shooting out of it and so we do have a bunch of energy we do have um you know we do have what appears to be a lot a large mass at the top of the image that is also full of energy and what i had what i had thought was some kind of large device it actually appears as though that is a bunch of matter or time in this case, that is being sucked into a singularity. I had never noticed that, or I hadn't realized that that's what, what this was. So now that I'm giving it a second look and really looking at the flavor of this thing, it looks like some kind of temporal hole that is sucking in everything around it. That's really, well, sucking in time itself. And so it's bringing the end of existence always closer. That's kind of interesting, and to a point where I wonder, why isn't this a more significant artifact in the story? Because if it's truly a black hole that is on the surface of Mirrodin that is sucking all of existence into it, bringing about the end of time at an accelerated rate, you'd think somebody would be trying to stop it. Um, and you'd think that that would be a theme of some kind of story. And this was back when they were publishing novels of the of the different sets. And I remember I read the first two Mirrodin novels. Um, and there's a thing with magic novels back in the day. Like there's a part of me that misses them, but there's a part of me that, if I'm honest, I miss having them on my shelf. I don't really miss reading them that much, unfortunately. Not that they were bad. They were perfectly fine, like adventure novels. Uh, if anything, they were almost they were almost a throwback to almost pulp kind of stories because there was always a really straightforward like these are the evil things these are our heroes it's this 
band of misfits who don't fit in for some reason or somehow awkward and they come into their own become incredibly powerful and take on the big bad evil phyrexians usually but or whatever the um whatever the evil force is malevolent that was the word i was looking for whatever the malevolent force is that is threatening their world they go and fight it and um you know, end up victorious in the end in one way or another. And there were a lot of really cool ideas that were mixed in there. I mean, the idea of Mirrodin itself is a plane. It is a plane made entirely of metal. And the creatures there are metal. Like, Well, they're, they're metal in addition to organic. So even the, even the animals that are made of flesh have metal growing out of them as just part of their essence, part of their being. That's a fascinating idea. An entire plane that is an artifact is really cool. But at the same time, the story taking place in that kind of a setting, it kind of got a little old because one of the other things that happened with those novels was they ended up being travel logs in a lot of ways. Because you have the five colors of magic, you have the five different, basically every, every magic setting, you have to account for these five different flavors of magic or you know this this five five different flavors of mana which all have to be represented in the land just by virtue of how the magic works and so one of the things that happens a lot is our heroes venture to all the different areas you know they see the swamp on this world they see the forest on this world they see the plains and usually they come from one of them so in the case of the mirrodin novels we followed galissa the sun seeker um, who was who came out of the tangle which is the forest on Mirrodin. Now, of course, all the trees are made of metal, and so they had to explain kind of what this place looked like, and they had to... The the number of words on the page that was devoted to description of the area was a little bit higher than it would be in other places, or at least that's how I remember it, just from the reader's perspective. You know, if you were to actually analyze the text, I don't know if that's true, but it sure felt that way. Like, I felt like we were looking at the stuff around the heroes a lot, rather than actually doing stuff. And, um, yeah, I actually read the first two books, and the second book, in proper trilogy fashion, ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, and I gotta admit, I got a little tired of slogging around Mirrodin. Um, it just, it didn't capture my interest the way that I'd hoped it would. And as a result, I actually never read the Fifth Dawn novel, the, you know, the last one. Um, which now I'm feeling a little guilty about. I feel like I should go back and see it. But also knowing that the Phyrexians show up and even Galissa gets completely messed up. Um, I don't know that I want to see the end of that story. But yeah, I got to say when I first saw the, what is it, Galissa the Traitor, the Golgari version. When I first saw that card, my immediate reaction is, oh man, that, that rules. Golgari, like artifact, recursion, you know, graveyard stuff. Oh, neat, I'm in. That, that looks awesome. Then I realized, wait, Galissa, I remember that name. No, her too? Anyway, so, I, you know, anyway, all that to say, I don't remember in those first two stories Eon Hub being anything meaningful. That said, this was from the Fifth Dawn. So, I don't know, maybe it was in that book that I missed. Maybe this is something significant. If you're familiar with the story, if you know what Eon Hub is referencing, and it is a plot point, please let me know. Please uh, throw it into the comments, or um, hit me up on Discord. I've got my link in the description of this uh, video or podcast, however you're consuming it. And then that's also, um, you can also hit me up on Twitch, and that link is in there too. Uh, I'm active on both those platforms, a, a DM or, you know, a whisper as it's known on Twitch. In You know, a DM in either platform will get to me. So I appreciate that very much. All right, guys, this has been Eon Hub. Interesting card, interesting flavor. Um, 
yeah, it's it's the kind of janky stuff that I'd love to, I would like to build around, but I never did really figure out the way to make it sing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of a lot of upkeep cards like Blizzard, Mystic, or Remora, that kind of thing, that where where there's that recurring expense, being able to just shut it down. Actually, one of the other there's a card that I absolutely love um, called Whirlwind Drake, I believe it is. No, Whirlwind Drake, Title Drake, one of those. Um, but it's a two-one flyer for one blue, but it has an upkeep of one, and so it's one of those where you know the early game advantage that you get isn't really worth it in the end. But if you can shut down your upkeep, all right, that could be kind of fun. Anyway, I remember falling in love with that card at a time when Savannah Lions was the hotness. Oh, how times have changed. All right, guys, this has been fun. Thanks so much. I've been Graham, also known as HamHawks42 on the internet. Presumably I will continue to be so. Twitch.tv slash HamHawks42. I will catch you there, and I'll catch you here next time, whether that's tomorrow or in five minutes. Well, or in 30 seconds after the Anchor commercial. All right, later, guys.